One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Take a bath, you stink of dragon. Welcome to Dragoncast. Home of House of the Dragon. Gather your small council, send out your ravens and call in your bannermen. I'm Hand of the King Jamie East, here to guide you through the highly anticipated return to Westeros. The time has come. The most anticipated show of the year has finally arrived. Praise be to the seven. The premiere episode of House of the Dragon has just landed and we're here to bring you reaction and expert commentary on all the political intrigue, family feuds and fiery action. Welcome to Dragoncast. I'm Jamie East, and joining me this week to dissect the House of the Dragon premiere, like one of Kyburn's science projects, are the diamond ring on the hand of the king. I think that's better than the pinky finger, Chris. We'll keep working on it. Chris Mandel. Hello. And this week's special guest, journalist, editor and author, Terry White. Hiya. 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 Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, at last... At flipping last, it feels like one hell of a build-up, but uh, 2am this morning, House of the Dragon was unleashed on the world. The premiere, what what were your initial reactions? Terry, give us your first, what were your feelings when you were watching it? Well, so I was, I wouldn't say cynical. I always have this visceral reaction to these massively hyped shows. It's why I actually took forever to watch actual Game of Thrones until I was forced to watch it for work because I just thought, this is like Harry Potter all over again. Nobody's going to strong arm me into watching a stupid, nonsensical fantasy world made up thing. And then obviously I watched Game of Thrones and thought, what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> but so I was a little bit, you know, a prequel, I, just focusing on obviously one fam. Is this going to have the same intrigue and dynamics and drama? This first episode, I'm just going to put it right out there from the get go. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Amazing. Phew. We'll get into it in huge amounts of detail, but let me tell you, correcting things, Game of Thrones took years to correct, just SFX, character development the way it treats women i mean they got so much right in this first episode that i think it just bodes incredibly well for the entire series there you go that was one hell of a first reaction chris what about you yeah the first reaction was just this sense of relief like they've done it like it looks great the characters seem really interesting and different than the characters on game of thrones and i just i remember when that first episode ended i just had this big exhale and i was like yeah They've done it. This is it. it. I'm I'm in. And I was like, Terry, I was quite cynical at first throughout the whole rollout. I, I just thought, oh, no, it's not going to work. 
Obviously, the jury's still out on that. There's loads of episodes to go. But as soon as Rhaenyra turns to the camera, when she's in her sort of like, she's been crowned as she's been announced as the new heir, she sort of turns, it just locks into place. And I just thought, yeah, this is going to be absolutely brilliant. It felt fresh and it had a lot of depth to it straight away. And it felt familiar as well. It was like, you know, it, it was it was the world we feel like we've been in before, but but seen from a seen from a completely new perspective. Pilot, I say pilot episodes, not a pilot, but first first episodes of of whole new things are extremely difficult to get right because there's usually just so much exposition to get through. And actually this opened up with something that I, I don't think we've ever had in Thrones land before, which was a VO, a voiceover and a bit of narrative just setting the scene. One of the main things about Game of Thrones is it shows it doesn't tell, but it, I guess it kind of had to for all those people going, right, where's Daenerys? Where's Jon Snow? Did we like, I, think, I think it's handled quite well, got it, got it all out of the way quickly. I enjoyed that a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, I did. I normally hate that, right? And exposition, I think, is really difficult, especially in a fantasy world like this, set, you know, 100 and however many years, 172 years before Daenerys is even born. So, and what they had to do was make it easy to navigate if you are a massive Thrones fan or if you'd never seen it. And I think they handled it perfectly. There's something quite intoxicating about this voiceover. And I just thought, do you know what? That heavy lifting had to be done, but it was done as gracefully and with as little much of, of like clumsiness as possible. And I think anybody watching that will understand exactly where they are. And then off we go with, as you say, the showing no more telling. And there was so much to cram in. I mean, Miguel and, and Ryan, the showrunners, it's, I mean, everyone knew what a tough job they had and the responsibility on their shoulders and the pressure must have been pretty great. I think they did a really good job of introducing just an entirely new cast, entirely new characters. I, th- I think the only thing that's confused a lot of people, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think there was there were still people going into the first episode that had no idea that there were two actors playing both uh, Alicent and and Rhaenyras. I think that was still quite confusing from the trailer. I think because the casting was so good, they actually still look really really similar. So I think that that took a bit of going. But what were the what were the key moments that stood out for you, Chris? Oosh. I mean, there's the main thing is that we had compared to the Game of Thrones premiere compared to a lot of of first episodes we had a really brutal death with two deaths uh, of key members of the Targaryen house which is you know I I, I sort of knew the bare bones of this story but I didn't expect that Um, that was a big thing which we should probably jump into there was obviously the tournament there's Prince Daemon uh, played by Matt Smith, who seems like had a real focal part of this episode with his sort of massacre across the city. And I think just the sense that there is a lot of unease in this fairly harmonious uh, family. They, there's been a, a period of relative peace in Westeros. And the more we spent time with this family, the more we realized there's a lot of uh, wounded people. There's a lot of wounded pride yeah. and it's not going to take much for this whole thing to kick off. That was the it's, sort of... It's very much like a normal family Christmas on say 28th of December. That's the yeah. kind of <laughs> emotional state that everyone seems to be yeah. in. It's like... It reminded me a lot of the Mandel family Christmases, you know, there's <laughs> a lot of violence, <laughs> a lot of swearing. <laughs> let's, let's skip a, ahead just a little bit because, you know, I think one of the, one of the most memorable scenes was the death slash birth scene it was pretty full on for even in game of thrones by game of thrones standards this is a this is a series in a world that has occasionally more often than not been criticized for its portrayal of women its use of unnecessary sex and violence particularly towards women i can't see how else they could have 
made that scene, Terry. What did you What did you think to it? How do you think they handled that? I mean, I thought they handled it brilliantly, and I've already seen a bit of a backlash saying, you know, this is gratuitous violence against women. It's it's childbirth, but really, in essence, it's no different than them being raped and murdered before. I watched the first episode of the first season of Game of Thrones this week, which essentially, you know, Daenerys is married off and forced into sex with her new husband. And the way that's treated, very titillating, very pornified. In the end, the narrative has it, she takes control of the sex and and just a, a completely unrealistic way that really diminished the kind of violence she was enduring. And I yeah. found that really made me queasy. This, like the first naked body part you see belongs to a man. It belongs to a rapist who is then castrated. I mean, if we're going to talk about statements of intent about how they're going to treat men and women in this, there is sex, but why? Why shouldn't there be? I think what yeah. we're not seeing is loads of rape, which is being used for either plot or titillation, basically. But this childbirth scene, and, and a lot of women have responded negatively to this childbirth scene. I have given birth to a child by cesarean. And let me tell you, like, it's one of the most realistic. I know it's obviously thousands of years ago. One of the most realistic depictions. And if you think those showrunners did a fucking fantastic job because... They juxtapose the jousting contest with childbirth. And there's actually a line where she said, oh, the childbed is our battlefield. And what becomes clear is in this world, in this patriarchal world, these men, violence is sport. They go in armoured up, they go in protected. And for them, it's all part of a day's laugh, of a day's kind of socialising. But for women, our battlefield is when we bring babies into the world and we go in raw and vulnerable and stripped bare and unprotected. And more often than not, our lives are laid on the line, not by us, but by the men making the decisions for us. So it's decided that the baby should be saved at her expense. And that's a very brutal but realistic scene. And it's heartbreaking on so many levels. And it is graphic. But you know what? Most TV shows or films what happens is they go into labour and they cut away and they come back and there's a, a woman with a light dab on, she's sweating <laughs> slightly, holding a child or the baby and the mother dies and they're, they've got a sheet over their heads. Yeah. This refused to cut away. There was a use of score to soften some of the edges. Um, so there was screaming you couldn't hear and a, and a very emotive score. But it shows the re- reality of what it does to a woman's body, how it breaks us, how, you know, we tear apart in our kind of job yeah. to continue the population. And I thought it was, you know, incredibly brave, really radical. And I think it absolutely was necessary. It's one of my, weirdly, impossible to watch one of my favourite scenes in the entire thing. I think there's so much power in it. I think it's incredible. And also it's steeped in realism, you know, show me mm. any childbirth that isn't bloody and mucusy and screaming and sweaty and agony and and actually you know the the decision that Viserys had to make is one that is made in real life to this day and you know absolutely it's still primitive it's yeah. still brutal and you're right, you know, uh, it, we've come a long way since uh, Daenerys discovering cowgirl was a way to a man's heart. You know? <laughs> uh, Chris, what, what, what was your what was your uh, your takeaway from that? I mean, it was it was an eye waterer, um, but a vital plot point. Yeah, I, I mean, when I watched it, I I kept thinking they're not going to. How much are they going to show of this? Because I thought they would cut away, and you know, 
this is a show that often, you know, women do die off screen or they sort of, it's like, oh, you know, we've written her out kind of quite disrespectfully. And I, I thought the way they faced it head on was great. I couldn't believe every time there was an incision, every time we saw more belly, more blood, I kept thinking, they, I cannot believe they're showing this 35 minutes into the first episode. This is like, like nothing they've done before. So I really admired it. Yeah, it was just done really, really smartly i thought it was i thought it was great actually i mean i was interested in when i when i first saw it i thought i wonder what the backlash is going to be i wonder what people are going to say and of course i want to listen to people who have more experience of childbirth than me when it comes to what what this does well and what it doesn't do well but i thought it was great and i thought it wasn't gratuitous you know viserys making that decision sets everything that is about to happen into motion uh for good or or bad and so it's really really important i thought it was just outstanding really And the other side of, of, of As the Dragon, the one that, that were the things that we're all waiting to see were the dragons. You know, we've we were we had three dragons in Game of Thrones and now we've got 17. I think it's safe to say that CGI has moved on even in the past three years. You know, um I spoke to Miguel Sapchenik uh last week about it, and they've utilized the same kind of tech that Disney have, have utilized for uh kind of Mandalorian and Obi-Wan, the, the kind of huge digital 360 degree screens. And he said that whilst whilst it's brilliant, they're actually really difficult to film on because you you can only move the camera like a few inches before before it completely throws it. It's got to be the the field of vision is is so so limited with them. But the dragons looked cool. They felt like proper characters rather than just kind of, you know, you were looking at them in thrones and you just knew that there, that someone was looking at a tennis ball in a sock or something like that. These felt good, right? Yeah. There was nothing distinguishing about the three in Game of Thrones either. They looked the same. They were slightly different colors. They sounded the same. These ones feel, I mean, there's two in this episode, right? There's yeah. Rhaenyra's and Daemon's. They look different physically. One of them's got like a really long neck. One of them's got like wings on its back legs they they seem very different and i think they already seem to have, have done a lot yeah i mean you always used to spot it right no matter how great the aerial scenes became whenever you had a character riding a dragon you'd be it was like green screen time and i think that's that's the most difficult bit that was always the giveaway and god what what are they saying 20 million an episode spent on on vfx I don't know if you could see all 20 million, but it's come on <laughs> so, so incredibly far. And as you were saying, Chris, they're like char- they're characters in their own right. And they're used, I think you just said casually, which I thought was really interesting. They're not, you know, it's not always battle pitch. They're part mm. of the fabric, part of the family. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. The detail, as usual, is just incredible. And despite the grand scale of, of the dragons and the sets and the, the locations and, and how everything looks, I think it's safe to say that we aren't in for this sprawling kind of worldwide tale where there's different houses doing different things and there's different, you know, in Thrones we had stuff going on in Dawn and Essos and Winterfell and this. This is very much focusing on, it's a, it's a family, it's it's a it's almost a character-driven drama what do we make of the family we've got we've got we've got Viserys we've got Rhaenyra's we've got Otto and Alicent we've got uh you know Rhaenys we've got all of these and Damon of course who, who will I'm sure we'll come on and talk to in a minute there's a great mixture of all of the different ingredients for what we know is going to be some form of civil war isn't there N- none of them are particularly happy with their lot I don't think are they 
Terry. No, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, because I was worried about that, about when you zero in so sharply, do you start kind of some of the bigger pictures of, does the epicness almost get lost? I think it's worked out really well because what you're describing is the way that all of those battles would normally rage between families is raging within one family. And what that enables you to do actually is to get further and further under those skins, under those allegiances, those moments of disloyalty. So I feel like they've done such a good job of, of setting these characters in the first episode. So you understand where the tensions are. You understand exactly what might actually blow up over the next few episodes. And the, I mean, the cast is legendary. I mean, I would have mentioned Millie Alcock, whose name I will I want to walk down the street telling everybody to get to the television and watch her. I cannot remember being so thrilled by a young actor's performance. Absolutely incredible. She's electric. And we know that obviously there's another actress for the older scenes. And I'm already in mourning that she may leave my telly. She is there's something so magnetic about her and you know and let's be honest about matt smith yeah hammy as hell and (laughs) i absolutely love it he's having the time of his life it is top draw like across the entire family and i think they've done that superbly both kind of dramatically but also just in those individual performances they're so brilliant there was there was an element of captain flashheart wasn't there about about matt smith Smith. uh but I mean, Millie Olcott, she's got such a distinctive look that it, it, it's almost alien-like. You know, those eyes, they, that she does feel otherworldly. And, and, and actually, when you see her stood next to um, her older counterpart, it's it's uncanny. The casting is, is uncanny. It, so much so that, as I said, I think people were confused uh, in the trailer that they were two, they were seeing two actresses and yet only only could see one on screen. I think it was I think it was fantastic. Let's talk about Matt Smith though, because it does feel, you know, I think everybody has their suspicions about uh, Viserys, which will which we'll come on to uh, shortly. With that in mind, it does feel like uh, like Damon is going to be the main protagonist in this. Although, having spoken to Matt Smith, he he is playing him as a good guy. He's saying Damon is fine. He's, he, says, he spins the coin in the air. You know, there is a... Every Targaryen's life is a coin spinning in the air with greatness on one side and madness on the other. And his is still spinning. It's still in the air. It hasn't landed yet. So he's playing him straight down the middle as if... As if He's he's a noble character, Chris. What did you think to to Matt Smith is Matt Smith's first uh, foray? I kind of agree with him actually. After watching that first episode, there's a scene with him and Viserys. Uh, Viserys is on the throne. They're having a very very sort of impassioned conversation about Damon's conduct. Obviously, he sort of goes through the city and sort of slaughters like loads of people, and he says he's doing it to protect everyone else in the city and also to sort of spread a message that they're not to be messed with as a family uh, and as a city. Um, But he says, you know, we have got each other. That's all we've got. I'm your blood. I will basically do the things that you're too cowardly to do. And you need to run this place with a, you need to run this, this whole operation um, with a bit more aggression. I think he is, I think he's, I mean, he's obviously like doing unspeakable things, but everybody in Westeros who is in power does unspeakable things. Most of them just try and convince themselves that they're the good guys. I don't think he's any different. I think he's very interesting. And I think Matt Smith does a really good job of making him seem, yeah, kind of weaselly and sort of a bit snaky, but also there was periods where he was genuinely wounded by what was happening. 
And I thought his relationship with um, Rhaenyris was also like really quite special. They speak together in High Valyrian, mainly so a lot of the people in the court won't be able to overhear them. And I think there's a really interesting sort of um, special relationship between uncle and niece. My only concern is because we do know the Targaryens love to fuck their own family. I'm worried for her <laughs> that there's going to be some disgusting union. But the other thing I thought just really quickly is he seemed a bit keen on Alicent Hightower as well. She gave him a favour at the tournament, which is the sort of Westerosi equivalent of sliding into someone's DMs. So I don't know where <laughs> these two women are going to be in relation to this character, but I think that could be an interesting bit of discord. And Alicent Hightower is, is written in as the most desired woman in Westeros, which is uh, unnerving for, uh, I think she's 14, <laughs> just to clarify. Good old the Targaryens. Yeah. But, you know... It, it does feel like a bit of a kitchen sink drama done on done with 20 million quid, which I'm kind of here for. Do you know, I, I feel as though I, I came out of at the end of episode one kind of fully invested in 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 their in the problems that each of them face, whether it's Rainey's, the queen that never was, um, you know, the Valerian kind of uh, family angry at the at, at, at that i also enjoyed i guess the the small councils scenes as well because deep down it's it's about tradition versus uh breaking the wheel isn't it and you know most people in there including damon were just like well the heir's already decided i am the man i am the man and the vast majority of the small council tended to agree otto played i thought brilliantly by uh reese siffens was the main uh, shit stirrer in that, and and there's obviously there's obviously I believe the kids call it beef uh, yeah. between <laughs> between Damon and 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 Otto, uh, so I I, I I suspect there's not going to be much love love loss between those two, is there? No, no, and you know what I I think we had more as you say council meeting time in this first episode than we did actual <laughs> drama or or argument or fighting, but I didn't even recognise it was Reese Siffens at first. I just thought he was unrecognisable. He has this, you know, we discover he's just lost his wife and he has this air of grief, but anger about him. And without, I mean, I thought it was brilliant in terms of showing and not telling is very little dialogue between him and Damon across this table. But you understand immediately that there is something very deeply deeply kind of disconnected between these two and it's right on a knife edge and you know his brother has to constantly kind of step in and I think some of the, the problem with Damon is as you say he's righteously driven he believes what he's doing is the right thing even though he's doing a bad thing the problem is his brother is too soft to be king like that's the reality and everybody's aware of that even though he does sacrifice his own wife to save his son, you know, he has a softness and a vulnerability which Damon recognises. And not only could Damon take advantage of that, but more importantly, he sees that the world can take advantage of that. And that's where the real weakness is. I, yeah, I enjoyed the scene because it, it, it seemed as though it, it was there to serve uh, for the viewers to realise that Viserys isn't really fit to carry this through mm. a civil war it was the fact that he was literally caught between a rock and a hard place between having to make the decision that decision that he made you mentioned Viserys' son Balon now I was watching this I've not read any of the books and then when the son was born I was like hang on a sec this doesn't tie in with what I knew and when that camera panned down at the end on the pyre that was a that was one hell hell of a scene was it i was like oh my god oh we didn't make it oh shit do you know what i mean a great piece of great piece of storytelling i thought 
Another subtle little thing we noticed, let's talk about Viserys a little bit, because Paddy, uh, as ever, as if we ever doubted him, <laughs> played him to an absolute T, kind of had that, trod that fine line between kind of compassion and steeliness. But is it safe to say at this stage that it ain't looking good for him? You know, I'm no scab meister, <laughs> but if you've got a weeping sore that won't go away on your back, that's screaming pox to me. Anyone else agree? Yeah, he seems yeah. just ill. He seems susceptible to illness, which is sort of, <laughs> you know, just not a very attractive quality in a ruler. But uh, yeah, I think it's hard to play a character who is quite soft, especially for someone like Paddy Considine. And I think he has to get across that this guy is just a little bit like wobbly and a little bit inept and is a bit of a coward and has been wanting this son to come along so that he can get off the throne sooner rather than later because he doesn't seem to enjoy it but yeah we saw that sort of infected cut on his back they sort of implied it was from sitting on the throne too long which is like you know irony alert or you know <laughs> foreshadowing that um well here's my question sorry to interrupt on that because i think is this where they've merged a story from a previous king because i think i believe there was a previous king who was said to have been killed by the throne like actually kind of it was magor the cruel mm. uh legend has it in the books that he was actually killed by the throne in some kind of weird smoke baby um red witch kind of way and we know there was a scene where viserys so you're right that the sore on the back was that it was was rumored for, to be caused by the throne mm. and then we saw him he nicked his little pinky yeah yeah which uh the camera just lingered on that for maybe half a second long enough for me to think I need to pay attention to that. Did anyone else catch that? Yeah, and to your point, the the show the, there's been things in the books uh, in the original series, the Song of Ice and Fire books, that you know the the throne will cut you if you if you don't sit on it right, if you're not the right fit. It's this sort of fate of like you know you will get her, and and I think on a broader thing, like it is made of all the swords of your enemies, and it is not designed to be comfortable. And I think him frequently i mean we saw we saw damon sitting on it in this episode and he was fine and i do think there is a lot that they're already setting these planting these seeds uh to suggest that he's just not a particularly good fit and also very quickly he doesn't have a dragon that big skull in the red keep was his old dragon and i think a targaryen king without a dragon is another way of them to just project that like he is without his sort of super ego or he's without his strongest weapon and that is not a good look for him. Do we know what happened to his dragon? Have we been told that in the show? I mean, I don't think so. Just as a, a heads up for people listening. So we, I have seen a few. We're only here to talk about episode one. I can't remember where it comes up. Or when I can't it remember where there's a conversation about it. I can't I because yeah. I've had to watch it in such a condensed period. What I would say though is that I think it does get addressed and that it was like, that big one in that big skull when he has that conversation yeah, with his yeah, daughter. Yeah. Valeria on the dread. Yes. Yeah. And the dragons do sort of choose, you, you, they choose their humans, I believe. So a bit like the ones in uh, John bit, Hurt's yeah. shop of Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more fire. Terry, the, the dragon in the room, a lot of fans of Thrones were left quite jaded at the end of the season eight. We're not going to get into that again. Mm. Goodness knows there's enough been said about that. Said they were finished with Westeros, weren't going to watch the show, which is petty and stupid and they'll be foolish too. Do you think that 
that this has done enough to to win them back or at least show them that actually don't give up on Westeros just yet? I think it's opened the door, hasn't it? And look, I always think when people react that strongly, it's because they really fucking care. And we've all had those shows where we're so let down by either a finale or a final season that it feels personal. We swear off it. We make little dolls to stick pins in. All of those things happen and it's fine. But you hope that they're over it. And I think those changes that they have made, I think they've done an incredible job of making it feel distinct, different, its own thing, really feels like it's evolved but also you understand where you are and if that is a world you love then I think I absolutely can't see people really firmly standing by that and I think on the on performances alone on cast alone the writing still crackles you know there's a line where she says take a take a bath you stink of dragon like all of those you know dragony touches that make you know where you are all of those little flourishes are in there so it feels familiar enough but I feel like I honestly feel like it's leaps and bounds on and I think any um GOT fan is just gonna just give it a go for the first episode and I think you'll be sucked right in I thought the script was fantastic yeah. one of my one of my favorite lines is someone um called Danny gone bad presumably in relation to uh, Daenerys rather than Danny Baker or anyone like that uh, <laughs> said uh, I want to fly with you on dragonback see the great wonders across the narrow sea and eat only cake, cake. yeah and that, and that's like you know the way again that was Millie Alcock and and they gave her some absolutely gorgeous lines that just spoke to her desire for freedom and power and and the sense of how constrained she is as a woman and all of these things that I think can sometimes be played a little bit heavy-handed or a bit of or a little bit hackneyed they felt fresh and exciting and the script did crackle you knew exactly where you were it was funny in parts and incredibly tragic you know the the, the moment in which Sean Brooke is held down so that they can rescue the ch- I mean that moment alone when she looks at her husband and says please and she realizes, no and yeah. she realizes that moment like I mean I was in tears at that moment it's so brilliantly done the nuance in this is incredible and I often think that these worlds don't get enough credit for the nuance in the storytelling and the power in the detail of the storytelling and it's it's up there that moment is up there with any drama we've seen any prestige drama we've seen on telly this year and we will continue this uh, right after a word from our sponsors Uh, welcome back. This is episode two of Dragoncast, home of House of the Dragon. I'm Jamie East. I'm with Chris Mandel and Terry White. Now, uh, Terry, we, we couldn't get you on. We were talking about scripting and uh, creating worlds. And you are in the thick of uh, of what must be a mental period of your life. Billy Piper is you. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so I wrote a memoir which came out in 2020 about... My time in a locked psychiatric ward in New York and essentially the the events of my childhood that had led me there. And I was lucky enough for it to be optioned by Bad Wolf, who obviously do Discovery of Witches, His Dark Materials, Industry, I Hate Susie and Billy Piper. Officially not officially not a shit production company. <laughs> officially yeah. the best. And yeah. Billy Piper has signed on to, to star as me and to be 
an exec producer and I'm writing the script and I'm an exec producer as well. So we're in development holy, at the moment. Holy fucking shit. Whoa. That's yeah. amazing. It's uh, incredibly mental and terrifying. Um, so is it in development at the moment? Is yes. it filming? What? Yes, it's in, it's in development and hopefully have more news on that soon. <laughs> so you, were, you weren't responsible for Billy being photographed with Christopher Eccleston the other day then? Oh, no, no, it's doing with me. Oh, God, don't. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I love, oh, don't. Christopher Eccleston, don't give me ideas now. Well, tell your casting director. Well, That's what you need to do. the problem is there are only bad men in my book, so, like, would it be, would it be weird? Would I be his reputation to have him play my violent dad or something? <laughs> Well, let Reddit be let Reddit be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> now we mentioned we talked about the throne and the swords uh, on the throne about about how they they're injuring Viserys. Um, one of my favourite little kind of insights was we learnt of a new sword, and 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 as anyone knows uh, in the land of Westeros, if you have if you've got a sword, it's got to have a slightly weird name tenuously linked to to people that you've killed with it. So we had a widow's whale that was uh, Joffrey's that was forged from. Longclaw, which was Ned Stark's, and it was melted down and, and turned into, I think, Widow's Well was one, and Oathkeeper, I think, was the other one uh, that Brienne of Tarth ended up having. There was Ice, there was Dark Sister, Lightbringer, Needle, which is tattooed on my uh, mm. on my arm there. There's there, there, Needle there. We heard Damon Targaryen mention something called Dark Sister a couple of times, and that's, in fact, his sword. So I thought it was about time that we did a bit of a throne-casty, dragon-cast-type wisdom and delve into the history of the mysterious Dark Sister. Dark Sister was the Valyrian steel sword wielded by Aegon the Conqueror's sister wife Visenya, a skilled warrior who trained alongside her brother since childhood. King Aegon once proclaimed he felt really well protected by his guards, but in a split second, Visenya drew Dark Sister and with lightning speed cut the cheek of the king before his guards could react. This led to Aegon entrusting Visenya to establish the king's guard. The ancient sword passed through the generations to Jaharis, the fourth Targaryen king to rule Westeros. Jaharis would eventually bestow the blade upon his grandson, Daemon Targaryen, in recognition of his prowess in battle. Dark Sister was lost to the ages in the Blackfyre Rebellion, an affair that takes place long after the events of House of the Dragon. But as for what happens to this historic blade between now and then, maybe we just need to keep watching. We didn't see any other any other swords. Did we see Viserys' sword? I'm not sure we, we did. I don't think we did. We did. I don't know about Viserys' sword, but there was a Valyrian steel dagger in this episode that is the one, I think, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, the, well, the cat's paw dagger. Yeah. So, and, and one of my favourite scenes in this episode, and mainly, I guess it was because it, was, it, was it had a little emotional link to Thrones, was where he... Uh, was was speaking to Rhaenyra. I think it was in front of the skull of, of of the dragon, wasn't it? And and told her of the the prophecy or the dream that is handed down by the kings of Targaryen, uh, which is essentially the dream of uh, for, foreshadowing the Night King's arrival. And the cat's paw dagger, uh, as he was telling uh, as he was telling Rhaenyra, that was in his pocket. And, and as we know, that's the dagger that ends up killing the Night's King. Arya uses that dagger. It's also the dagger that kind of kickstarts the whole hellfire of, of season one of Game of Thrones because it's the dagger that I think Littlefinger had that was used to kill... The, 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 remind me, was it... There was, it was a, used to, they, someone it tried was to kill Bran to, when he was in his was coma it. and Littlefinger told 
Cat Stark that it belonged to Tyrion, which it was a lie. And that caused her to arrest him, and that caused the Lannisters to declare war, and that caused everything, and the whole thing was done on a complete misunderstanding. Let's move on to a few characters that were on the periphery that I guess are going to are gonna kind of come into it. One of my favourite pairings was Steve Toussaint and Eve Best's dead sexy kind of married couple of uh, Corlys Velaryon and Rhaenys Targaryen. They just look badass together. Uh, he just looks fantastic, like a kind of swashbuckling Billy Ocean. And he, I think, is going to be quite a major player in the game of the thrones you know i think he feels as though he's got a lot of skin in the game he doesn't need the money he's one of the richest people i think he's richer than the targaryens themselves uh, but also is married to the queen that never was what did you what did you think to them terry what was your what was your take on them I loved their vibe. There were so many brilliant little shared looks and he particularly holds his cards really close to his chest. I mean, the fact that she's called the Queen Who Never Was, day after day after day, it's like, all right, are you taking the piss? I know I was I know I was <laughs> yeah, almost Queen Who Wasn't. Yeah. You've actually called me the Queen Who Never Was. Um, there is some I, I find them fascinating. They're really compelling. They have really amazing chemistry and clearly, you know, whether it's her being passed over for the throne because of her sex, something something is brewing with those two. And I feel like I shouldn't be rooting for them, but I absolutely am. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's difficult to know who to root mm. for at this early stage because you don't know who's going to be alive next week. You don't know who's going to be a baddie. You don't know what... what one character that, that you kind of feel as though they seem like a nice guy. They seem like a nice guy, which doesn't happen often in Game of, in Game of Thrones land, is, was to Kristen Cole who was the kind of uh, the working class uh, knight that appeared at the tourney and actually whipped Damon's ass. Oh. What, what did you think to him, Chris? Yeah, I loved him. I mean, he looked very he looked very dashing and good looking. He looked very, you know how Tyrion looked in season one of Game of Thrones, where his hair was nicely done and he was very buff. He doesn't, it doesn't look fucked up enough yet. Yeah. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that happens, but clearly a key figure. Yeah, I mean, I love seeing a fellow handsome man on the screen. <laughs> I relate to him so much, you know, I thought, yeah, that's a long flow ducker. Yeah, it looks like he could be in a Hugo Boss advert, um, um, and I love that for him. I thought he was really interesting because, you know, he's kind of from like a common born house and he's got himself some armor, beating the shit out of Damon. And this suddenly everyone's like, wow, eligible bachelor. And it's kind of interesting how the men can sort of uh, upwardly mobilize like that. Whereas even uh, Rhaenyra is like a princess and they're all told like... You know, you can't really do anything because you're a woman. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really interesting like juxtaposition. He seems, I don't really know, like he's kind of an armed guard. He's hot. I mean, I kind of don't really know much about him at this point, but yeah, it's good to have some more eligible bachelors that aren't like screaming psychopaths. An armed guard and kind of hot. I mean, what more do you want? Chris? He is free to use that on his IMDb. Uh, I think it's Fabian Frankel that uh, <laughs> he can use that. <laughs> he is a lovely lad. Lovely. And someone who, again, you know, getting glimpses of, oh, they look like a possible ally, was Missaria, who was the kind of shy to Damon's Tyrion, without putting too fine a point on it. She was classed as a whore okay. in the... Uh, in, by many people in there, uh, let's let's just say a sex worker for the for the sake of twenty twenty two. Shay, sorry, it was Shay, wasn't it? Uh, in in Game of Thrones, 
Do we think that she is going to play a part or is she just there to be a foil or, or Damon's kind of straight guy, so to speak? What do you think? They had a weird dynamic because we see her engaged in the coital activities and you think that's, you know, in Game of Thrones fashion, she's going to be a woman having sex with a, a very prominent male character. But there's a really interesting exchange where he's clearly upset and she, and the way she speaks to him and consoles him is it immediately shifted my view. I was like, no, she has some power over him. She's incredibly yeah. self-possessed. And I was like, she, she has the capacity to be absolutely on his level and kind of make some either incredible or incredibly dangerous duo. And she was brave enough to uh, to try and help him through his uh, ejaculatory problems I mean, as well. I thought which I thought she was, was nice very considerate. I mean, she she literally touched his dragon, not using that as a metaphor. So I think the symbolism is all over the mm. shop. She seems capable of like being by his side, uh, which is interesting. Now, one of the best things about we're now kind of in full flow of, of episodes being released is that as soon as uh, episode one finished, there was a teaser uh, for episode two, which I believe. Uh, we're going to play out right now. Let's have a listen to it and see see what we can make out. And if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, uh, you will watch this with us as we delve into episode two of House of the Dragon. The road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear. Against whom? Whomever may dare to challenge us. The threat of war looms. Gods have yet to make a man who lacks the patience for absolute power, Your Grace. Wowzers. Okay. Uh, season one, episode two trailer of House of the Dragon. I think if episode one was um, an insular kind of retrospective navel gazing kind of look into a family on the brink of of civil war it's safe to say if asked to shit or get off the pot everyone seems to have done a massive shit <laughs> and, and we, we've got we've got dragons we've got fire uh and it opened with a with a, i think a great line in reference to the, the wider universe we know how the we, we know what the end is but the journey is going to be crazy um what did you what any any takeaways from that little glimpse there terry i mean Fucking loads of dragons. That made me really excited. And yeah. obviously Damon's taken the decision really, really well in terms of no longer <laughs> yeah. being a prince. He's clearly dealing with it in an absolutely sane, yeah. normal way. Dad's taking the divorce. <laughs> yeah, <life>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Only having the kids on a Saturday afternoon, are we? Um, but yeah, and obviously the two, the two girls are going to be pitted against each other. And all those grudges that have been being nursed are going to come. Are they going to come to the surface? And I've just got a feeling that back wound, that back wound is going nowhere good. Yeah. Yeah. They hadn't invented Sudocrem. They really hadn't. (laughs) Chris, any takeaways from that? Uh, Well, the main thing is like the, the Alison and Rhaenyra's going and, you know, really like falling out. I mean, at the moment, we don't quite know why that is, but we did see this in this first episode that she was advised to do the Westerosi equivalent of taking a Barry White CD and a bottle of wine over to the king. So I can presume that that's the cause. Could be that she's hanging out with Damon, but obviously we're going to get into that pretty quickly. 
I mean, if your best mate's been fucking your dad, yeah. it's it's a tough one to get over. Isn't yeah, it, really? I think, I think uh, there's no both sideism to this debate about who's in the wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it does feel like they're kind of getting on with it and getting to some of the really juicy stuff. Also, just seeing all the dragon fire raining down. It's just they're really cracking on, aren't they? One little detail I thought was brilliant. And I don't know people watching or people listening, go and, go and find it on YouTube. The the map room, I think, which felt like it, it was is, in Dragonstone, yeah. but it may, may have been in King's Landing, looked like it was alive. There was like lava in it. And there were like actual flames on the top of it. I don't know whether that was like a, a dream sequence or something, but it just looked, it looked absolutely and- crazy and one thing that i did want to mention was just just a big big shout out to the art department of house of the dragon for having to light all of those candles because holy shit someone somewhere has had a right nightmare lighting all of those sponsored by swan matches maybe (laughs) those big long ones that they're selling in ponty gift shops yeah oliver bonas specials yeah that's what what i think i do think is really cool is seeing like dragonstone and like all these locations from game of thrones in a new light because they're sort of slightly different but they, they've changed in a way but they haven't if that makes sense like yeah um, and i think one of those scenes with one of the dragons where it sort of lands on the bridge i mean that looks like dragonstone like the sort of big walled uh fortress that obviously daenerys was in uh towards the end of game of thrones so yeah it's just cool to see all that again and it feels all that it, it, you know we talked earlier about like how do we feel like Game of Thrones ended on a funny note? But like when you see all these locations anew, it's just like reinvigorates how exciting it is to be back. And it just feels so Absolutely. exciting. I can't wait to see like where it does go. I mean, we know that it's going to be a bit more limited in scope, but where it does go is, is going to be really exciting. Well, we've only got six days to wait until episode two of House of the Dragon is upon us. Uh, you can, of course, watch it on Sky Atlantic, uh, Now TV. Hello to the 2AM Club. Uh, there is a secret 2AM club. Uh, uh, I think you can join the community on Twitter with Sky TV. And now, if you're one of those uh, people who cannot wait until 9pm on, on Sky Atlantic, it's, it, it's airs at 2am to simulcast with, with the States as well. Uh, Terry, where can people uh, find out more about you and, and say a friendly hello? Uh, I am on Twitter at Terry underscore White and Instagram at Terry L White. Not confusingly at all. <laughs> Chris, uh, that pesky underscore still oh in your life? Oh my God, I know. I, yes, yes, yes it is. Um, yeah, I'm on Chris underscore Mandel on Twitter, Chris Mandel one on Instagram, and please do not approach me when I'm doing my big weekly shop. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for watching if you're on our YouTube channel or for listening if you're listening uh, via Spotify or Apple or Google or, or Acast or any number of those things. Do get in touch with any comments uh, about the podcast or your thoughts on the show as well. Uh, just email uh, dragoncast at daftdoris.com or just catch up with us on Twitter at dragoncast underscore pod or just me at Jamie East. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Terry and Chris. We will see you uh, next week for more Dragoncast. Don't forget House of the Dragon airs exclusively on Sky Atlantic at 2am every Monday, then repeats that same evening at 10. You can also get it on demand via now. If you'd like to get involved in the podcast, just head over to Twitter at Dragoncast underscore pod or email dragoncast at daftdoris.com and leave us your Easter eggs, predictions and thoughts on the show. You can also watch this episode over on our YouTube channel. Just search for Dragoncast Jamie East. Any support, whether it's a follow, a share, a mention to your friend on the bus or a tattoo on your backside is very much appreciated. 
Dragon Cast is hosted by me, Jamie East, along with Chris Mandel, produced by Connor Driscoll, edited by Buddy Peace, and is a Daft Doris production. Dracaris. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.